Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and uh, want to welcome in uh, some special guests we've got today, um, and some uh, not as special but still pretty cool uh, folks that you're more familiar with uh, that that are joining us again. It's been a while since we've had a chance to talk Seahawks. It's been a while since. Uh, we've even had a show. So it's, it's just good to see people, um, <laughs> folks in my household, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, and um, tonight's a, a special night. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in the world, whether it's uh, COVID and what's been going on there with quarantine and stay at home. And we did a show um, back, I can't I remember, a month or two ago, it feels like a while ago, where we did a fundraiser to help support um, kids that are not getting food because uh, school was getting canceled and they were having to stay at home and ended up raising uh, a bunch of money for charity. And, uh, you know, we've dedicated everything we do on this show is, is all, you know, charitable and, and uh, we're able to donate as well uh, a record this year in terms of what the show was donating to charity. We donated $40,000 to uh, All in Washington dot uh, org allinwa.org which also is really supporting seattle foundation which is a great charitable organization in the area and they basically support the folks that are most in need it's kind of like a an investment fund for local seattle charities and they they vet all the charities and they they get to the the ones that that are most in need and one of the things we really liked about all in Wa and seattle foundation in general is 
that they're really looking at the communities that are most impacted by COVID. So it's not just general stuff, but small businesses, uh, it is unevenly impacted, uh, communities of color, um, you know, migrant workers, other folks, as well as, um, you know, uh, students and others. So they've got a lot of varied charities that they're working with. And so we're really, really happy um, and appreciate all your support as listeners and readers. Um, and putting up with Nathan uh, and Evan's takes on things over the years. So all of those things are greatly appreciated. Um, and tonight we wanted to continue that. Um, there's a really, really uh, both troubling and important movement going on right now. Then the movement's not troubling, but what's caused it is. And uh, wanted to really, as a show of support for what's going on in the, the Black community to to do a show that all the proceeds we get tonight um, are going to be donated to Black Lives Matter. And uh, so a lot more we can talk about there. Uh, I definitely want to primarily focus on the Seahawks as that's what people come to hear about. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But I think we're going to talk about how this uh, movement and impact is going to impact uh, the game that we love um, and how should it impact the game that we love. So with all that, uh, let me welcome in a few folks. You've got Evan Hill uh, at Evan in SEA, uh, even though he's not in SEA uh, on Twitter. How you doing, Evan? Hey, asshole! Can we not tent 49ers fans tonight? <laughs> that 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 would be something I would appreciate, Brian. I I, I am doing well. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing well, dude. Good to see you. Uh, we've also got up there in uh, the safe confines of Canada, uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How you doing, dude? I'm all right, man. Hanging in there. The whole world seems crazy right now. It it, it does. It, it does. I'm learning a lot. Being in Canada is just my eyes are definitely open. What's going on in the world? It's definitely changed. My the last two weeks have been really eye opening for me. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely talk more about that. Uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. Uh, someone in chat thinks that I have a six stash. I think that we're talking about maybe Nathan's. Dude. I don't think I have a stash. Uh, mine's gone. I uh, finally cleaned up a little bit. I, I dropped the quarantine stash. So just back to a boring old beard. Well, I don't think it's boring, Nathan. I, I, I think it's, it's excellent. I'm happy to see you again. Um, now, now, those the, the four of us are just the, the normal, ordinary, average folks. But uh, the special guests we've got on, um, first of all, we'll start with Ben Arthur. Uh, ben uh, writes for seattlepi.com. You can find his stuff up there. Fantastic follow on Twitter. Um, if you aren't already there, make sure you do that. Uh, ben, I think this is the first time we've had you on this show. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Um, and again, kind of thanks for having me on. But yeah, first time I've been on here, but, you know, I see all your guys' stuff on Twitter all the time. And, um, you know, the Seahawks Twitter, as we all know, is always active. And, you know, you guys are always at the forefront there. So, um, so yeah, I always see you guys on that. But, yeah, this is my first time um, live with you guys. So I um, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys a little bit. Awesome. And you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben Y. Arthur uh is his twitter handle so please make sure you go follow him and last but certainly not least a returning guest to the show uh, a, a show uh, a friend of show uh michael sean duger uh and goes by at mike duger on on twitter m-i-k-e-d-u-g-a-r 
Mike, dude, it's been a minute. How are you doing, man? I'm all right, man. You know, good day, I'm okay. Bad day, I'm okay. I've been using that movie quote like every, <laughs> everywhere I go now. It's from uh, the Wolf of Wall Street movie with uh, Shia LaBeouf. I can't remember what it's called right now. Somebody probably knows. But yeah, I'm all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so there's a lot to cover. Um, we'll definitely get into some of the Seahawks stuff going on. But, um, you know, first, uh, you know, love to open it up. Um, you know, especially Mike and Ben, you guys have been super active. Nathan, you've also been active on the topic going on right now with Black Lives Matter and what we're trying to raise money for today. I mean, what does this movement mean to you? Uh, what, what are you seeing as, as places where people can make the most impact? And why don't we, why don't we start with uh, you, Mike? Um, well, the Black Lives Matter means everything to me, right? I'm a black dude and I wanna, I wanna matter, right? Like that's, uh, it's, it's been a thing for a, for a minute. Um, lately, honestly, lately the thing that's been standing out the most is um, all the white people that have felt the need to get involved uh, for the most part, whether it's people I know, people I don't know, um, figure, asking for ways how they can help. And I can understand, like I've taken on an interesting role in that regard. Like I put out like a call to action on like my Instagram and I uh, like asking all white people I know to, you know, hit me up if you have questions. And I did the same thing on one of the Zoom calls with Seahawks writers uh, when Bobby Wagner was on, uh, asking all my, letting all my coworkers know I'm here. And that's a tiring thing, which is why a lot of black people don't want to do it, right? We get to the point where like, yeah. well, you're X amount of years old. It's not my job to teach you, you know, American history, right? Which is, which is fine. I just understand that there's, some of us got to do it, right? Like that's, we just have to. And that's been really encouraging. Um, I can't remember my man's name over there who writes for Coop Center. Um, but he just did a great piece, um, basically like, an open kind of letter for white people to have resources, why this matters, why they should get involved and how they can kind of educate themselves. Uh, John Boyle, Seahawks.com did the same thing. Um, I tweeted about both of their stories yesterday, I think. So those are just both like, and to see the feedback they've both got, uh, especially John's, cause his went up first. That's been really encouraging. Cause um, Kim who just mentioned it, that it's been eye opening, like, for, for, for me, and I don't know about Ben, but I would imagine it's similar. Our eyes been open to this for a while, you know, since we was kids. And it's really, it's, I don't know what took so long, but I'm glad it's happening now that everyone, everyone's got to the point where they can't stay silent. Not everyone, but people have gotten to the point where they can't stay silent on this. And that's what we've been waiting for, for, it feels like forever. So that's been, a, that's like been the main thing that's kind of been standing out. That's been like a positive uh, amid like all this tragedy yeah ben you've been really vocal on twitter about this as well and and to mike's point you know i've talked to plenty of my friends who are as similar sentiment as mike is like you know i don't want to be out there telling all the white folks what they need to do like you guys are adults figure it out uh correct some of the problems you've created i, I get that um you know what's been your kind of uh, approach uh and, and what's been your mindset going through what's a uh, uh, pretty turbulent situation um yeah I mean just to kind of start like like Mike I mean this is you know an important thing to me too because you know I'm a black man uh you know there, there's different kinds of blackness too right I mean my my story is a little bit different than Mike because uh my parents are African immigrants um they came to the U.S. um and so but um 
so I'm, you know, I think that means I'm first or second generation, but um, at the end of the day, you know, blackness is always, it's, it's perceived as the same, right? The, the purpose of black lives matter is that, you know, black people aren't treated the same, you know, black people are dis disproportionately, you know, impacted by, um, you know, victims of uh, police brutality, black people are disproportionately, um, you know, racially profiled, black people are, um, disproportionately, um, you know, adversely impacted in so many ways in, um, in American society. And um, so, yeah, that's why um, this, yeah, that, that's why it means so much to me and kind of like what, what Mike was saying. I mean, this, this feels, this feels different right now, right? Just because of um, so many white people speaking out specifically because, you know, I've seen this narrative laid out so many times, right? Like a, you know, black man gets killed, you know, people care about it for like two weeks. It's at the forefront of people's minds, maybe, you know, it seems like everyone is on, you know, black people's side. And then after two weeks, when, you know, the news cycle moves on, it's like everyone else kind of moves on, but, you know, the black experience is still the same. And so, you know, with the George Floyd you know, video, it, it really seems like it, there was kind of a tipping point. I don't know. I mean, there's been really like brutal murders we, we've seen caught on video before, but um, I think just honestly, I, I think it's with like, you know, with COVID and people stuck inside and people have all, having all these pent up emotions. Um, and then when you see something like that, that's just so blatantly racist, you know, the, the Minneapolis, Minneapolis police officer with um, his, his neck on uh, George Floyd's, um, his knee on his, on George Floyd's um, neck. Um, you know, I think it, it just woke people up, you know, and um, that's been really, you know, really, really great to see. Um, and I'm, I'm encouraged, right? We, we've seen protests for like two straight weeks. It, it's crazy. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 um, the, the tide is definitely shifting a bit. Um, things are starting to happen, you know, the defund the, the police movement, um, which I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but, um, but that's been, you know, really, really great to see as well. And, um, you know, I, I, at first, you know, uh, it was, it was really an emotional roller coaster for me at first. Um, and there, there's also the numbness too, of, you know, just this always happening to black people and no one seeming to care, but it just feels different this time. And um, we're seeing so many people speak out, so many athletes speak out, so many prominent white athletes speaking out. And I think people are finally realizing that, you know, racism is not, it's especially against black people. It's not, it's, it's not a political issue, right? This is human rights. This is, this is civil rights. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've just been really um, happy to see kind of, um, you know, the, the tone shift um, nationally. Um, so that's been, that's been a good thing for me. It's amazing and, and helpful to hear. I think one of the, one of the pieces that I know folks are, are curious about, I mean, um, it's a very small aspect of what is a much larger issue, but you know, how, how does this translate and impact the, the NFL and, and, you know, the NFL is, was at the forefront in both good and bad ways depending on you know various points of view on this issue years ago and um how it's handled it certainly lots of people have lots of strong opinions about that 
um, the leagues come out and, and apologized for, for a lot of what they did and acknowledged some of the things that they did wrong. I'm curious, and, and Mike, if you wouldn't mind starting, like, what is your expectation about, like, in a league that is predominantly Black men, um, you know, what's your expectation about how this could potentially impact the, the NFL? Well, the NFL has doesn't have any credibility when it comes to this issue. And I think it's important lately to, to kind of distinguish what the NFL is, um, because it could be, you could be talking about Goodell, you could be talking about the league office, you could be talking about the owners, and it's all three. Um, but it's, it's, it's important to kind of point out, you know, each step. For example, um, the, the NFL, quote unquote, God, Roger Goodell put out a statement, I can't remember when, uh, but it sucked, right? Um, it was super hypocritical and everything. And the players, like Michael Thomas, Saquon Barkley, some others, uh, united with people in the league office. Uh, one guy particularly was at the forefront of it. We got a story on it on The Athletic now. Uh, so that's the league office kind of acting like in a form of rebellion against what Roger Goodell put out on behalf of the league. And then you have Roger Goodell putting out a statement which is really his video statement is kind of on behalf of himself, right? Which goes to the third section of like the NFL, which is the owners. The owners really haven't said a lot of anything. Uh, if you, if you think about it. And even when they do, it's like, uh, I think this 49ers owner gave, gave some money uh, and things like that. They put together videos uh, and stuff, but I think there's a, a big difference here and maybe I'm making too much of it, but perhaps putting a statement on your, on your NFL account, like if you're the Texans, you put it out on the Texans Twitter account versus putting your name uh, on it. So you're speaking from a place as a human being versus a corporation. Uh, and we really haven't seen that a lot. And, and that's really where we can get some momentum in this whole thing. Cause it's not necessarily just, oh, I'm gonna throw some money at some stuff and let you guys figure it out here. Here's a million bucks, go find some black groups and you guys hit the ground running and do your thing. It's just because the same way I'm encouraged by people, well, white people hitting me up asking what they can do. I want to be encouraged by the NFL owners who have all this power, who are these multimillionaire and billionaire white people to use their influence the same way, right? If you're the owner of like the Falcons, don't just tell Julio Jones that you care about him, right? Go tell your other rich buddies that you care about Julio too. Tell them why, and then tell them why they need to care about Julio as well and then you guys take the next step uh to make some change uh nfl owners are very powerful and not just across the country but in their respective areas too like how many people in texas are more powerful than jerry jones right think of all the change he could make if he was if he was down with black lives matter right all the politicians he could sway all the other companies that he could get on board just all the other powerful you know shot callers just in that state alone that could be huge, right? And you can apply that same thing to, you know, uh, the dude who owns uh, the Dolphins, uh, dude who owns the Jags, uh, Bob Kraft, you know, this, these people have so much power, right? And it's not, it's just a statement or throwing some money at things, which I understand from their point of view, they've been able to throw money at stuff to either make it happen or make it go away their whole lives. Right? That's kind of how the space in which they operate. And I can kind of understand that's why where they come from. It's our job as media, as black people, as player, as the players, as whoever, to call that out and call to action. Hey, yo, Robert Kraft, cool. You hang out with Meek Mill and you do and and you you rock with your black players or whatever. You guys put out a statement. Cool. Next step is you're tight with the president. Now maybe he's a lost cause, but like that 
your partnership there, your allyship there, you can do good things. And that's what I want to see, you know, from, from the league. Obviously, the Kaepernick should be back in the league as well. Uh, but they have so much power. Like, you know how powerful it is to be a white billionaire? Like, come on, man. You know how much change you can enact if you use your powers for good instead of, like, exploitation like they're so used to doing? That, that would be so huge. And I would hope that that's the impact. I don't think it will be. I think we'll get a lot of lip service and some more great social media videos and, and stuff like that. But if, if there was ever like a perfect scenario, it's where the owners get on board and use their power and privilege, you know, to help make some change. Yeah, Ben, I mean, Mike spoke a lot eloquently about what he hopes happens. Would you mind talking a little bit about what you think will happen? Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with Mike. I mean, what I think will happen is just a lot more kind of lip service. I mean, what we know when it when it comes to um, you know issues like this, race, um, you know, the NFL is it's a hypocrisy, right? Like, you you come out with it, but first of all, like applaud like the players for um, you know taking it upon themselves. You know, Michael Thomas, uh, Patrick Mahomes those guys for um, getting together and, and putting, putting out that important message, basically forcing Fidel's hand. Um, but I mean, what, when it comes to kind of issues like this, the, the, the NFL is always trying to cover it, it, its ass, right? Like it, it's just trying to get the statement out, um, kind of make people happy. Um, you know, like, like even in Goodell's video, like I, I wanted to see, um, an apology toward Kaepernick uh, for, for Kaepernick, right? Because you know, you you say you're you're with your players, and um, you know you you're for um, everything they're saying. You know, Black Lives Matter. Um, we got to end systemic racism. All this, like you know, these power. Like he, he basically, Goodell basically said what the player said verbatim in his video. But then the person who kind of raised that issue in the first place who brought this to your attention four years ago was still out of the league. So I think, um, you know, that the NFL has a lot of work to do, right. They need to put more action behind their words. Um, you know, I think what we saw with Goodell's video was an important step, but I just don't know how much action, you know, we're realistically going to see until like Mike said, um, like the owners are really leveraging their, you know, their privilege as, you know, white billionaires um, to talk to lawmakers um, and whatnot to really move the needle. Um, but I think that kind of goes back to my point about the players, because I think the players are really realizing how much power they have, right, to really force Goodell's hand the way they did, like within 24 hours of um, um, the the players video coming out, Goodell came out with a video from his um you know, basement basically supporting what the players are, are saying. So I think it's on the players to continue and, you know, persistent, be persistent about forcing the NFL's hand on issues like this because the players are the product, right? They, they're what bring the revenue in. Like if, if they don't have the players, particularly like the black players, I mean, they don't, they don't have a business. So I think it's on the players to continue um, to put the pressure on the league to actually do something and not just make statements and, you know, save face and all that. I think that's the ultimate question. I don't, 
um, yeah, so so to answer your question, I mean, right, I mean, I, I, I think it's just going to be a lot more lip service until the players continue to do more of like what they did with the video they released a few days ago. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump over. I got a I got a question for uh, actually I'll shoot this one over to Mike. Mike, how like growing up on the east side in Seattle, like I I know a ton of like white privileged Seahawks fans like myself who really want to be uh, better allies to the movement. Like I I really share your concern. It was either you or Ben who shared that you know, after a couple of weeks, you're worried that this, this is just going to be like a social media fad where everybody's changing their profile pictures to black and things like that. What are things we can do, uh, you know, as white privileged people to be better allies to you guys, better allies to the movement? What things can we sort of put in place as a habit, maybe long-term to sort of sustain the change that you guys are looking for? I think it starts with just calling out, you know, the bullshit when you say, can we cuss on here? Too late. Um, uh, you can cuss on here. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> calling call calling out the bullshit when you see it. Yeah. You know? So uh, I've been giving the examples to, you know, people close to me. I'm like, yo, you know, you've got some, you got some in-laws that say all lives matter, right? Call it out. Don't just, don't just like laugh at it or, you know, you know, whatever, or ignore it at the table and then go back and like, tell me that, oh man, my uncle said this, like, what? No, man, call it out right then and there. You got somebody talking crazy on their Facebook wall about, you know, oh, they kill white people at the same rate or at a higher rate, which A, is not true, but, you know, B, if that's how they think, you know, call that stuff out, you know, have those tough conversations with coworkers, bosses, well, be careful with the bosses, but family members, you know, spouses you know these are going to be very hard conversations right these are good it's in a lot of scenarios you're going to get white people who are like my age i'm 27 who are going to be having conversations with like their 50 something year old parents who have thought a certain way for a very long time who who have probably never thought about operating from a place of privilege and you're going to come at them with like hey dad you know seeing seeing color is actually a good thing like being colorblind is actually really insensitive they're going to talk to you crazy Right. You may sever some relationships with this stuff, but it matters. Right? It's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing people can do like on the ground because we need an attitude shift. Because when we get an attitude shift, we get a behavior shift, at least uh, in my mind. You get someone who used to think that being colorblind and not seeing color was the way to go. You explain to them that like, no, you should see color and then still treat everyone fairly. Right. Because you can do two things at once in that regard. You, you explain that to people and maybe when it's time for them, you know, to vote or whatever, or to donate, you know, you get like different behaviors. And that's something that will never expire. You're always going to come across, for the most part, people who, who hit you with those taglines when you, uh, there's four of them, for the most part, when you're talking about race and specifically police brutality, you're going to get, well, what about black on black crime? You're going to get, well, they kill white people too, they being police. You're going to get uh, all lives matter and you're going to get, um, I don't see color. Any of those four, if you just call those out, if you're on people about those things and explaining to them and offering how they can educate themselves, because white people listen to other white people. And that's just how America works. They don't listen to black people. If they did, we'd have fixed this already, right? Because we, we've been at this for, for a minute. So it, it takes you guys, but it takes some uncomfortable conversations. And I know like white people aren't sitting around playing beer pong, just talking about like why there should be reparations, right? But I don't necessarily think it should be that. But I mean, you guys see this stuff, you know. I mean, I went to I went to Washington State, right? Predominantly white school. Like I, I get it. 
I know what the convos look like when I'm around and when I'm not. And there's plenty of opportunity to call out some bullshit and like have a civil conversation too. Now, some of your MAGA friends, you might have to just walk away from because their conversations are going to infuriate you. Trust me, I know. Um, but those conversations can go a long way. I'd encourage everyone to go read what John Boyle posted on Facebook. I think he tweeted it as well. And I, I, I shared it. It's stuff like that that can be so, so helpful. Like explaining your privilege, explaining their privilege, and then being like, look, this is how we can help. In addition to like donating to like Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, or the Northwest uh, Bell Fund, Pacific Northwest Bell Fund, or just, you know, being out in the streets protesting, those things are helpful as well. But I think when we get like a kind of an overall attitude change, we can start getting the, you know, the, the people we need in power, you know, whether it's local politicians or whatever. Um, and then we can start, you know, getting actual change to like funding education instead of giving the police $400 million, you know, and, and things like that, you know, mental health, you know, after school activities, whatever it is, that's not giving the police a bunch of tear gas. And we can get there if we have an overall attitude shift in the people. Uh, that, at least that's my theory on it. That'd be my suggestion to everyone. Do you, do you guys find that it really helps uh, the message while uh, you're talking for Evan to be shoving his face to breathe? <laughs> is, that, uh, is that like communicating oh, the gravity of the situation? <laughs> All right, let's be clear here. Let's be clear here. It's Taco Tuesday. It's Taco Tuesday. We don't forsake Taco Tuesday. So, yeah, there might be some white privilege conversations about uh, where Taco oh. Tuesday fits in the uh, priority, but that's okay. I just, you know, let's call it out. <laughs> hey, Jeff, you had a question. What do you want to, I know you wanted to get in there. Yeah. Um, you guys have heard some from players. I thought Russell and Bobby were particularly strong on the topic in your Zoom calls, but Mike made a good point earlier about the power of the, the owners and the Seahawks don't really have the more traditional football owner. Joni Allen kind of takes a back seat. So the guy, I guess, the voice of the organization is now Pete. And Pete hasn't talked to you guys, I don't believe, yet. And Pete had that podcast with Greg Popovich and Kerr, and some of the people were rolling their eyes at some of his comments about Kaepernick, considering that he didn't sign him and hasn't yet. So what have you guys made of how Pete has handled the whole situation? What would you expect that he can do? And did you have the same reaction to the Kaepernick comments? And I guess, what's your take on how he's handled this whole thing? What that one, Ben? I can go after – I'll go after you. You go first. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I definitely put myself in the kind of the roll, roll your eyes category. I mean, he's, he's saying all the right things, right? But then we know a couple years ago, um, you know, I, I wasn't on the beat at the time, but um, uh, the Seahawks reportedly, you know, we're going to have Kaepernick in for a visit, and then um, that was squashed because he – he wouldn't tell them if he, um, you know, if he was still going to kneel um, during the playing of the anthem. So, so yeah, it was kind of a, a bit of an eye roll um, for me. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just kind of in, I don't know if in is the right word. It, it's just like, because everyone is talking about it now, right? And it's almost fashionable to say, Black Lives Matter and to speak out against racial op oppression. So I think it's just the easy thing for like, like I don't know, I, I'm just uh, basing this on what Pete has said, right? Like I just, I just know that um, 
you know, it's just easy for kind of people to be about the movement now and to say all the right things. But um, are you actually acting in accordance to those words, right? Um, so I don't know. I don't know, Mike, if, if you want to tackle this more articulately than me, but I, it was kind of a it was kind of a big eye roll um, for me when I when I heard uh, Pete's uh, words on that podcast. Oh yeah, I've been thinking about this topic for about a week now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll try to keep it as concise as I can. So I thought Pete sounded like a big uh, disingenuous hypocrite on that uh, episode with uh, a flying coach with Steve and uh, and Greg uh, for a few reasons. So in 2016, when Kaepernick first was was kneeling, Pete kind of just kind of told the line. He just want everybody to be together. I remember, remember the right after Kaepernick kneels, it's towards the end of the preseason, and the Seahawks and every every other team in the league is kind of figuring out how to react to it. And their first game is 9/11 that that season, right? So there's a lot of pressure there. I think Pete had the police department and the fire department at practice uh, leading up to the week of that game. So there was just it was a bunch of mixed messages there. I think Jeremy Lane was the only Seahawk uh, sitting at the time, and I think he stopped after the they locked arms against the Dolphins in 2016. Uh, but where, where, where it really sounded disingenuous from Pete is this could have not been any closer to him than what happened to Michael Bennett in 2017. Right, Michael Bennett is on YouTube right now. I just looked at it a couple of days ago. You can see it. He is pleading for his life, gun to his head right, with the, with the, uh, by the Vegas police. It's like August 27th or something like that, whenever the Mayweather fight was. Right? And then Michael Bennett gets up on the podium and cries you know, after like explaining it to us uh, in the media, like a week later, right? So the, for all the Seahawks, whether that's, uh, I know Paul's not here anymore, but like whether you're John or any of the coaches, other players, it was as close to you as it could possibly be, right? Other than it happening to you or like a family member, like you see Mike every day, right? And you could hear, you guys have seen Michael Ben, he's a happy-go-lucky guy, funny dude, got the great quotes, and you hear him pleading for his life. He is scared to death. Um, and and when Mike was protesting in 2017, this is before the Vegas incident, uh, Pete said, you know, I can support him and his issues. That's a very important wording there, his issues. Um, but I think we should all stand for the flag. Or excuse me, we should all stand for the anthem. That was like in August of 2017. So for Pete to now have tweeted Black Lives Matter twice in the last like week um, and come out and said that, you know, we owe a great deal to Kaepernick. I think he called like the protests, uh, he used the word incredible, describing like all the protests across the across the country, which is a very peak thing to do. I just, I wanna know, he hasn't spoken to us yet, he will this week. I really wanna know what has changed, if anything, because if he says nothing, then okay, I'm, I'm assuming this is like very, very disingenuous because I know they started the social justice fund that the Seahawks have in, um, in 2017. I believe Doug Baldwin spearheaded that more than anybody, but it's cool that they let that, that, that happen. That's great, but with the, the effort and energy that Pete is showing right now was not the case, A, when this happened to his own player, um, when it's B, having his own backyard um, as well. We've had this happen. And this is not just Pete, but it's, it's every team, but it acts about Pete specifically. That's why the whole NFL seems disingenuous, all their statements and stuff. Like, this ain't new. It's not the first time it's on video. It's not the first time it was a, it was a strangulation. You know, Eric Garner was as well. So there's, and that was also on video that also went viral. Um, so it, it comes across that way, not only for the uh, for those reasons, uh, disingenuous, I mean, not only for those reasons, but then with Ben to that as well, the Seahawks called Kaepernick for an interview in 2017, right? They called him, because that's how it works. You don't, the agent can call, but uh, the team is who initiates these interviews. 2017, 
right, chose Austin Davis over Colin Kaepernick because Colin was too good to be on the team, right? Stupidest shit I've heard. Um, but whatever. He got, he, everyone kind of, we let that rock and let it, let it go, right? 2017. They run it back in 2018, call him again, call him in 2018, said, hey, man, come out for this workout, right? Before he even gets out here, hey, man, what's up? You, you still, this protest thing, what's, what's going on here? You know, he's noncommittal in his response to the Seahawks, workout canceled, right? Okay, so whether, and then Pete kind of danced around that, but never really denied it. But either way, it's very clear. In 2018, the Seahawks did not sign Colin Kaepernick. They, they canceled his workout for reasons that did not have to do with football. At the very least, we know that. There was some varying reports about whether they asked about his plan or specifically the kneeling or whatever. Whatever it was, they didn't ask about his QBR or, you know, his five-step drops or any of that other football stuff, right? So to do that, to deny employment in the name of whatever you want to call it, uh, I, don't, I don't know. They denied employment for reasons that didn't have anything to do with whether he was good at football. To do that and then turn around and tweet Black Lives Matter and say, oh, a tremendous amount to him uh, and put out these new empathy statements that Pete's put out before that are just dry as hell, Um I thought all of that came off as real disingenuous unless something has clicked for him, unless he felt some connection to the George Floyd video or, you know, it, it, it elicited some response within him that's different than before. That's going to be hard for me to buy from Pete just because he's, he's not like living in a bubble, right? He's the guy who brings Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to practice and Bill Russell, you know, like he's, he does know what's going on. And I think for a lot of people, the difference has been knowing what's going on, like knowing police brutality is a thing and knowing that it's a problem. And that's a very subtle difference, but it matters. And like Pete has kind of been, you know, with the knowing it's a thing. And now he's transitioned to, at least with his words, knowing that, knowing and acknowledging and wanting to do something about it being the problem. And until you explain to me what has changed there, I mean, it's good that he has like come out and said this stuff, but until you explain to me like what what's clicked for you, it comes across as like, you're just rolling with the, the trend uh, right now because that's what everyone else is talking about. Because they could have been doing this when your own player was face down on a concrete in Vegas, gunned to his head, right? That's That was the time to act, right? So, yeah, so when you ask about Pete, man, I've been thinking about that. That's why I can't remember all these dates and stuff because I've been thinking about it, looking back into it. That was really bad on the part of the whole NFL and specifically the Seahawks. Like, they could have used all of this energy to ride for Black Lives Matter and one of their own freaking players – they got his head blown off by the police. There was a really like poignant moment in that podcast for me where Pop says something to the effect of uh, leadership and courage go hand in hand. Uh, and I think that Pete has shown a few times, like you're saying, you know, a lack of courage on this. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're calling out too with the allyship, right? Like it's one thing to, to tweet out Black Lives Matter or change your your, your Twitter Abby or whatever. Uh, but it's another thing to have those hard conversations with family members and people close to you. Right. Um, and so this moment requires, you know, kind of a lot of courage from white people to have these hard conversations and to, to not let this drop and to actually act on what a lot of people are saying right now. Yeah, no, for real, man. It, it, and it, and courage, that is the right word. And I don't want, I don't want to sound rude rude with this but i don't want white people to get too much credit for doing like the basic shit that black people have been like doing <laughs> sure. with much higher degree of difficulty and far more risk mm-hmm. right like yeah i've been i kind of have those emotions when i see like carson wentz put out a statement or like matt ryan or something like that or even joe burrows or trevor lawrence or something something like that 
I mean, that is really great, right? But I think in the past we would have seen those things uh, and like like wrote think pieces and like, oh man, look how great it is that like Aaron Rodgers cares about this, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, your pat on the back only lasts so long, right? Because there's been people doing this for a very long time and it takes a little bit more courage, I think, to do like with Kaepernick or Kenny Stills or Eric Reed or Malcolm Jenkins or um, shoot even like Josh Norman, um, Michael Thomas, the other Michael Thomas. Um, there's just so many guys who are really doing a lot of good work. And it's really like scary to put stick their necks out there, you know, the way that they have. Especially if you look at someone like Malcolm Jenkins. It's like not only is Malcolm Jenkins sticking his neck out there to fight police brutality, which is going to piss some people off. He's sticking his neck out there kind of in opposition to Eric Reed and Kaepernick, which is getting him like the Uncle Tom label. Uh, so like he's getting it from all the sides. That's probably why he went the hell off on Drew Brees and told him to shut the fuck up. It's like, dude, I'm stressed. I'm working hard out here. And you're talking about your great granddaddy in the war. Uh, like, oh, that's PSA before we move on. Don't be Drew Brees. Drew Brees is, that was fucking terrible. That was very, very, very bad for a lot of reasons. And now he's backpedaling and coming at the president and he's gonna have to do a lot. He's gonna have to join the NAACP to get people back on his good side uh, after he's just, just botched. I have one last question on that. I have to follow up with that, Mike. Do you think his apology is or was genuine? Um, I don't think so. So here's why, here's my thing with apology. It's the same thing I kind of hinted at with Pete. You gotta explain to me what the difference is. Um, he said like, he, after talking with his teammates or whatever, cool, what did you learn from them? I think we, we make this error a lot with like celebrities when they like get drafted or do something and we dig up their old tweets and they're like, reasoning is, oh, I was young and dumb. I did this thing in the past, but that's not, that doesn't represent who I am. That's like the main one. Uh, okay, explain why. Explain why you had homophobic tweets in 2011, it's 2019 and you don't know. Like, how did you gain a level of empathy to like, change your ways or where you had sexist tweets or racist tweets? If you really changed, you can explain it. You know, I would like us to do that with Drew. Cool, Drew, you really, you recognized, you, you claim to have recognized what you said was wrong because Malcolm Jenkins and Michael Thomas probably cussed your ass out. Great. What about you getting chewed out changed? Like, why is the, uh, specifically, why is the bringing up World War II the way you did just the dumbest shit ever? Like, I'd love for him to explain why that was. So the reason I don't think it was like genuine, A, because Bree said the same thing in 2016. So that means four years later, he's either stupid or doesn't want to get it, right? Or a combination of both. So I don't believe that his whole mindset had just changed in 24 hours of getting chewed out by some teammates. If it has, I need to hear like the background info on what specifically you learned from getting chewed out by Mike and whoever else, or Ed Reed or Steven Jackson, whole world. You know, what did you learn? How did you grow? You know, what empathy do you now have? Without that, your, you know, your statement is just not, your apology is kind of just dry to me. You're doing it because you got attacked but you're not necessarily sorry that, you know, you said the thing, you're sorry that it upset people. And there's a, there's a difference there. Hey, Evan, I got a question for you and, and get back to, to the, the rest of the folks in a second, but Geno Smith contract guaranteed. The Seahawks decided to sign Colin Kaepernick next week, tomorrow. Uh, are they stuck with, with Geno Smith? Do you guys know? Well, Mike or Ben uh, might be able to, give the true facts on this, but I, I don't think Geno Smith has officially signed yet. Last I heard was there were talks. Uh, Mike or, or Geno, Ben is that? Geno has signed. Oh, he did sign. Okay. 
I have not seen the contract figures. Do you guys have any reports on that or know anything um, about it? I don't think so, but I know the Seahawks don't spend much money on backups. Right? Look how yeah, much it's like it's like that minimum. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think it's over the cap. Yeah. Okay. So basically he has one hundred oh, he has a twenty five thousand dollar sign signing bonus. So basically, uh they could cut him tomorrow. It, yeah, yeah they, they they could. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think they will. I mean, I honestly, I don't think Kaepernick is. They're not going to sign him. But could they? Um, I mean, yeah. Because for, well, for, first of all, you you kind of have to look at like what Kaepernick wants. I mean, you think that he probably just wants to be in the league at this point. Um, but like with with the Seattle's backup job, right? Like Russ never. I mean, he never sits out, right? And so, if you're a guy like Kaepernick, um, or if, if you're really any backup quarterback, you want to go to a place where you think you may have a chance to play or the job is kind of the quarterback situation is shaky and you may have an opportunity. But like, like I said, in Kaepernick's situation, you may just want to be in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think the Seahawks are going to seriously consider signing him just because, you know, they, they do have Geno um, and then Anthony Gordon, too. Um, from Washington state, I just don't, I don't see it. Have I, I don't see them having a competition because ultimately it's Russ, right. And they're, they're going to have two backups compete in camp. Right. I don't, it, so it, so it has to be two. They're not going to have three backups mm-hmm. in, in camp. So, so you're, you're either saying, so what would you want Anthony Gordon versus Colin Kaepernick, a guy who hasn't played professional football for four years? Um, over, you know, Gino, who may not necessarily be as talented, but he's been around football and, you know, he's more, he's just been, been in the environment longer. And, you know, you, you know, he's kind of just a good veteran that you could kind of keep in the mix. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, and I, I don't think the Seahawks would cut Anthony Gordon. Like, I don't think it's, it would be like a Kaepernick versus, you know, um, a Geno Smith situation because I think they're really high on Anthony Gordon. So I just don't see the fit there. Well, yeah. you know, I just have to jump in there for a second. Cause I mean, to answer the kind of the, the hypothetical question you're posing. Yeah. I would take Colin Kaepernick who hasn't played in four years over Geno Smith. Yeah. I mean, I, absolutely. I'm from, a, from a football standpoint, I'm not even talking about. exactly. Like, and, and so I like my read on this is that the NFL the NFL is a follower league. Like there's a few leaders in the league and there's a whole bunch of followers and the league in general is clearly, <laughs> you know, according to, you know, we'll see what happens in the court case and whatever, but basically is blackballed, uh, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick from being in the league. Nobody would let him cross the line. And I think that, I think that we've reached the point now where, I mean, what Kaepernick was doing back then that was so controversial at the time. Um, I think there's there's room for it now. I think that there's an, the, the, the moments come and that now you're going to have NFL teams that are all desperate to, to win and the quarterback position is the most important. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that there's actually like competition to sign Kaepernick after he was completely not persona non grata for four years i would not be shocked if one team starts going after him i would not be shocked if multiple teams go after him and i'll tell you as a seahawks fan 
I, I did not, I actively dislike Colin Kaepernick as a player just way before any of the other, the controversial stuff. happened. He just, he's on my most hated rival team. I just didn't like him kissing his biceps and a bunch of that other stuff, but I would take him. I, I absolutely like from, from both a personal statement perspective, as well as, you know, football player perspective, I think, I think it'd be a, a, a wise move for the team to make. And so, so you're, you're, you'd, you'd be comfortable with, you know, Kaepernick versus Anthony Gordon. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about Geno Smith. The guy is like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Like Kaepernick, Kaepernick started in a Super Bowl and led multiple, you know, he's an incredible talent. Um, you know, whether some of those talents have waned over time, sure. Was he like eroding in terms of his performance and does he have limitations to his game? Absolutely. But would he be one of the top backup quarterbacks in the NFL? No question. He'd be the best backup, I think. I think that's possible. I don't think I don't think I can say it for sure after all the time off, but I think it's real possible that. That's I think your only what your options are: Mariota, Dalton, and Jameis as the other best backups. Dalton signed with the Cowboys, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, if he signed, he'd be the best backup in the league. Oh yeah, I don't even think that's a question. Well, you know, some yeah people hate Colin, so. But like from a ceiling perspective, you can't tell me like Colin isn't better than Andy Dalton. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. He like, is. I, don't think, I don't think he'll be in the offend the ginger on the on the show. <laughs> I, I'm just speaking the truth here, and this isn't even Andy Dalton hate. <laughs> I just saw Colin shred my team in 2014, 2013, 2014, 2015. Like people always remember that last you know year that he got benched for Blaine Gabbert, but before that, Colin was really damn good like do you guys remember that game he had against the packers in the playoffs where he absolutely shred them yeah ran for like 200 yards or something like that yeah he's crazy he's he's super talented yeah and i think his last game in the nfl was what i guess the Seahawks, i would say someone had to uh fact check me on that i'm pretty pretty sure it was like week 16 or 17 or something like that. and we just saw him throwing in georgia in november uh i mean yeah he looked, he looked, i talked to people at the combine about it i mean yeah he looked he looked like an NFL quarterback. No, not, from what I gathered, not many, not many, if any teams looked at him throw uh, in Georgia and were like, "Oh man, this guy blows!" Right? Like no one, no one was thinking that. I don't think the Seahawks would sign him, but if they did, you know what it would really do for Colin? Because the Seahawks, Colin wants a job. Like I do know that. I have like very hundred percent sure of that. Hundred uh, percent sure he would play for the Seahawks as well if they offered. Um, just trust me on that. And then. I think what it would really do, because the Seahawks backup job is probably the least desirable in the league, but what it would do if there's a preseason, well, boom, now he's got updated tape, right? Like that's, now you have every other reason to play uh, Russ for like a snap or, you know, a series, and then just let Colin and Gino or, or, or Gordo do whatever, you know, after that. And if you're Colin, you're just like any other guy, you just want tape. You know, some teams won't be brave enough to be that first team to sign them, but I've I can guarantee all 31 teams will be watching the hell out of Seahawks preseason games to see if Colin still got it. And whether it's good or bad, like, it'll just be an opportunity. And I, also, I honestly think it would be good. Problem is he'd be playing behind a really bad, like, backup O-line and stuff like that. Uh, but that's the case for every backup. So I think – We know that the, the quarterback sacks are, are a quarterback stat, though, right? You know, Are we on board with that here? Because I actually <laughs> like that. I like the well, idea of uh, the sack being a quarterback thing. It, it, 
it's a good point by Mike too. The Jets a couple of years ago signed Teddy Bridgewater and they traded him after the preseason for a third round pick. So even mm-hmm. from a football standpoint, just showcasing to the league, that could lead to a trade. Yeah. Brett Hundley, they traded for a Seahawks traded for him after the yeah. preseason in 20, whatever year that was. Yeah. You just need tape in the NFL. You need tape. That's why the XFL and the stuff like That's that was such a big deal. If they had no tape. If he got on a team, if he if he was able to finally like break that barrier that's been that barricade that's been put in front of him, I mean teams like they they I mean look at how many players that they've let back in the league for you know all sorts of things uh, that you know were literally like criminal acts versus kneeling on a field like I mean <laughs> I think they people people will come up with reasons to win and and I think Kaepernick is. I think he's one. Of, he still would be one of the best thirty quarterbacks in the NFL. You, you know what this reminds me of? You know who the stupidest team in the NFL is? It's the fucking Chicago Bears. They've been <laughs> rolling out Mitch Trubisky for like three years straight. Dude who can't throw a slant. Like that team has a good roster, and with Colin Kaepernick, they'd be pretty damn good. You, you, I, I, it just blows my mind that some of these teams won't consider them. Yeah, I think the Jags from yeah, 2017 and the Bears from 2018. So those teams, they, they have their guys, whatever, and they they I think they each won the divisions those years. Um, I think each team in the next season should have been looking at Kaepernick. Yeah. The 2017 Jags should have learned, like, we have a ceiling with this Bortles cap. We do. And it's not the Super Bowl. Like, we can get close. <laughs> But we're not going to get there if this is the dude. 2018, I would have been rolling with Colin. And then the Bears, I think they went 12-4 and four with Mitch that year where their defense was just disgustingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, the ceiling with Mitch, not high. Like, yeah. I would have been on the Colin thing. Because, like, you put Colin with that defense, uh, their, their defense was low. They beat the snot out of the Seahawks. Like, oh the score God. wasn't high, but, you know what I mean? You guys watch that. Oh uh, Seahawks couldn't move the ball for 59 minutes. So, yeah, no, those, those two teams I think of the most – uh, with like the roster is already there, right? You just you just need you're a quarterback away. I know it's a big piece, uh, but like that's the piece that those teams needed. If you guys could think of any more, remind me. But those two come to mind in the last the last like three years. Those, those are good examples, and and we're we're gonna be wrapping up here in in you know five ten minutes. But I do have to ask you guys like a, a question that that is is uh, not specific to this topic, but definitely specific to Seahawks. People want to know is uh, Ben. I'll I'll ask it to you. Um, Pass rush is still a question. What the heck is going to happen with Clowney? Like, there's all these weird messages still coming out. Everson Griffin still hasn't signed. Like, it's a weird situation with some of these guys. What do you expect to really be the forcing function that, like, actually gets movement to happen on on uh, where Clowney lands? On Clowney? Um, well, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but, I mean, that ship is sailed. I mean, from the from the Seahawks perspective, I mean, if, if you're a Seahawks fan and you've been clinging to that, like you, you got to let it go because it's just not happening at this point. I mean, I think Everson Griffin um, would be would be a good fit. Um, and obviously he has uh, familiarity with uh, Pete. Um, but yeah, th- this pass rush, it I mean, they they need one guy like even if it's not if even if it can't be like a tier one guy, they need a tier two guy. Um, you know, that they they reloaded the I mean, the secondary is improved. Right. They added Quinn Dunbar, you know, assuming, you know, all the legal issues are going to be, you know, 
thing of the past by the time the um, the season starts. Um, that that secondary is better. Marquise Blair has another year under under his belt. Quandre Diggs is going to be there a full season. Um, you know, the secondary is fine. It's, it's the pass rush, right? And, um, you know, with, with the pass rush as currently constructed, I think you're asking too much of Darrell Taylor. I think you're asking too much of Alden Robinson. I think you're asking LJ Collier to take a leap. I'm not sure he can make. Um, I think Rasheem Green is going to have to, you know, have an, I mean, he's going to have to have another big year. Um, I think he led he he led them with like four sacks, um, <laughs> which is, you know, a problem, but, um, but yeah, unless th- th- they need one guy, I, like I said, it's, it's, if, if you think it, it still can be clowny, I think you, you're delusional. I think you, you just got to move on. Um, I still think they could get, you know, one of the guys that's left um, like an Everson Griffin. Um, but if not, you're really, expecting the guys they have like the rookies or you know one of the second third year guys to ascend to um into a role that maybe they're not ready for and you know also you're, you're kind of I guess they're kind of expecting Jaron Reed will um kind of bounce back you know obviously you know he he missed the first six games of uh, last season because of that uh suspension um, so I, I get, you know, that they're probably, maybe they think, you know, they'll get another 10 sacks out of him and, you know, they'll kind of mitigate whatever they don't get from the outside. I don't know, but in my opinion, um, you know, Mike will probably touch on this as well, but I think, I think they still need a guy because you're just expecting too much of, you know, kind of what you have. Yeah. Nathan, I got to come to you real quick before we go to Mike and see if you have questions, but like, do you think it's more likely that the Seahawks sign another running back or that they sign another pass rusher? <laughs> I don't want to answer. Uh, so, but, but Makes me ben, know the answer. <laughs> ben and Mike, like, so what, what happened with Clowney? I'm curious. Or what do you think has happened with Clowney? Like, did it just get hung up on, you know, COVID and no physical, is he just being unreasonable with what he's asking? Did this sour like the relationship somewhere along the line? Is it kind of a little of everything? Like how, how did this, they went into the the draft and or free agency and everything talking about how important he was and how much they wanted to get him back. And it, and it sounded like he wanted to come back and it sounded like he really wanted to be traded here, you know, way back when that happened. And now we're just kind of at the point where it feels like it's, almost hopeless so like what if what changed there do you guys have any idea on that Mm, well so the going to indianapolis for the combine was really interesting uh, because i talked to a lot of people just like in passing or whatever about clowny and it was fascinating to me how many people um who who still believed in the optics of giving someone 20 million dollars you know a year with like however many sacks he had like with all the other advanced numbers we have, like it, the optics of that still matter to a lot of teams, according to what, what I was hearing. So going in, you know, like going into the combine, I was like, oh yeah, no, he'll, he'll, he'll get a lot of money. And then coming out of it, I was like, oh damn, there's still teams who won't give him 20 million because of the sacks, like ignoring like pressure numbers or whatever. So I think that played a role. Like you got a lot of teams who were just like $20 million, kiss my ass. That happened. Then you got, okay, he's coming off the injury. Uh, so he can't travel. I think that was like uh, part of it with Corona and everything as well. And I would specifically with the Seahawks, well, the reason why I think the ship is sailed, I agree with Ben. Uh, the Seahawks are cheap, man. They're, 
their deal is not going to have gotten better three months later. They spent the money. The money's gone. Like, it's my understanding the Seahawks lowballed Clownio, like, bad. You know, like, it, that offer wasn't it was some, they was some millions off, uh, like a Golden Tate type of offer. Uh, what what they offer Tate? I can't remember. It was like four or six or something. It was crazy. something horrendous. And then he got eight or something, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't re- remember what he got from Detroit. I can't remember what he got. What they offered. I think what I think what he got with Detroit was like uh thirty two million over four years, and then I think the Seahawks offered him like four million or a year or Ooh. something like that. Ooh. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, let's just say this: the Seahawks are we're off. You know, and, and that 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 it's not going to get better. That was what March. Uh, I want to say somewhere in the teens, right? That deal ain't going to get better three months later when they done spent up all the money. So I think that's the biggest issue. I think as soon as Clowney can travel to teams and like get people to look at his uh look at his body and everything, I think Todd Gurley just was able to travel and get a physical um to the Falcons. So if, if I don't know how that works with the rest of the league, but if if he can do that, that should allow Clowney to do the same. So I imagine he should be getting paid here pretty soon as long as he can travel but yeah Nathan I do think it's a bunch of a bunch of things with the Seahawks though it was more like dude you're asking for way too much our pass rush sucked when we had you you know say like it's it's not like it's gonna magically you know become great as soon as we give you 20 million more dollars that's a year that's, that's team worse. Can't yeah no that's not how that works at least from the yeah. Seahawks point of view yeah Any other questions you guys got as, as we, uh, anyone want to take final question for the fellows before we wrap up for them? Yeah, I got, I got a question for each of you right off the bat. First thing that comes to mind, record prediction, way too early record prediction for the Seahawks 2020 season. Ben, I'll start with you. Um, 11 and five. Mike? 10 and six. Interesting. Yeah. Can't win, can't win a division with, with uh, no pass rush. Just and without, I mean, the, the, and the offensive line too. I mean, you know, I mean that, that whole experiment is going to be interesting, but, but you just look at the fact that they're going to, you know, have four new starters, right. And you, you're not getting any of this off season time. It's going to have to go on training camp, try and figure it out. They're, they're probably, they're not going to, I'm confident they're not going to be better than they were last year. And they, they already have their issues, right. They're, so, they're fine in run blocking, but the pass pro is, you know, it was all over. Um, you know, I, I just think it's going to be an issue. Um, so, yeah. That's uh, a, that's an increasing, like, narrative I'm hearing from people. I think I saw that in the Seattle Times as well. I think it might have been Bob uh, writing about that. Like, yeah, the offensive line will probably be worse. It's it's younger or there's, there's more question marks. And uh, that's interesting. And, and this whole narrative about whether they're better or worse. Uh, that would be another conversation for another pod about going position by position group by position group. I think there's a case to be made that there's a number of position groups that are better. And some of them that are actually really important position groups that are better, including I personally think the offensive line has a potential to be significantly better than it was. And uh, I think the cornerback position could be meaningfully better. I think the safety position with Quandre Diggs for a full year and Marquise Blair with development could be significantly better. Those are like a lot of places. And I think the wide receiver position with a year of development for DK and, and other pieces could be meaningfully better. So it's interesting. Tight end should be significantly better. So like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of groups that you could make the case and even linebacker, depending on where Brooks goes in and Irvin at, at Sam, I mean, God, they ran, who they ran. Will uh, Kendricks was like, you know, anyway, so 
it's interesting because I think we generally all agree with you that like they don't seem better than they did last year. I think it's almost all because of the pass rush. Like I think we all are like that pass rush was horrible, <laughs> and how could they not have fixed it? But yeah, secondary is good enough to overcome having no pass rush. Yeah, that's, I think that's a big. They work hand in hand. Like I think the secondary, yeah, from a talent perspective, with like you said, Diggs a whole year, Dunbar, great. No one can cover forever. Yeah, right. I don't give a damn who you are. If the Legion of Boom had this same pass rush, their numbers would have been way different. Mm. Guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. It all works together. It's a lot easier to put up the numbers they put in terms of like pass defense when it's Cliff and Mike coming off the edge, you know, every snap. Like that's that matters to the secondary there. I know Shaq's good. I think Dunbar's good. There's just a difference when you have to cover for so damn long. You know what I mean? 100 percent all right, I got I got one more prediction okay, question ahead, if we're doing prediction questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is this the year that we finally see Russell get an MVP vote? Is it going to happen? No? No? It's not like the NBA though. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't you can only vote I believe you can only vote for the guy you think should win. So that's very different than like other uh, oh. voting. So it's not like it's not like this first, second, third place voting. Uh, someone can maybe look this up. I'm pretty sure you can only vote for the guy you think can win it. So it's not like you just give – if you give Russ a vote, that means you think Russ should have won. Like last year, that would have meant giving him a vote and not voting for Lamar Jackson, right? That's how you get your shit revoked. You know what I mean? So that – I don't – I think uh, – for real, I think Lamar was crazy. And then the year before that, you know, that, that would have meant voting for Russ over Mahomes, right? Again, that's how you get your shit revoked. So I don't think – uh, that's going to happen. So if, if you could have like first, second place, whatever, then perhaps, but it, it doesn't work like that. You can only vote for the, the guy. That's why it's so weird. Bobby got one. Like who, who, I think he got one like over Cam Newton uh, that, that year, which is like, what the hell? Love Bobby. You see what Cam did when his number one receiver was Ted Ginn. Come on, man. That's an MVP right there. So yeah, no, I, I think he'll have a good year, but you, he would have to be the, like the unanimous, very clear. You're the dude to get a vote. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with Mike. Um, I just don't see it happening unless, I mean, if you guys remember at the start of last season, people were like, oh, Russ, MVP. It's, it was, I think it was like the first, what, like five, yeah. six games of the season. He was the front runner for MVP yeah. before Lamar just kind of went off. Um, so I think I think for Russ to get, you know, to, to, to get one vote, I think he just has to ball out like crazy the, the entire season. Um, you know, I mean, and he's, he's he's been doing that, right? He's, you know, he's a superstar in his own right. But I think he just has to be at such a blazing hot start like he was last year to even get 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 a vote. Oh, can um, I make a prediction real quick? Yeah. Uh, so in Russ's three best years, I think that he would have had a shot. Uh, he what got beat by got by Cam, twenty fifteen Mahomes, and then Lamar. Mm-hmm. I think that's gonna happen again. I I would guess. My guess would be that like. Kyler has that type of year. Holy oh. cow! Where what? I I mean I don't disagree with you. Oh, but that's get a Evan all excited. Kyler Murray is good. Oh you cannot. God. He is he, fucking he, good. I'm Evan, telling you. He is like a few days or weeks or years away from having frosted tips and an upside down and backwards. Kyler Murray right now, right now is the second best quarterback in the NFC West. I'm telling you that. Yeah, but that's not saying much. (laughs) The other quarterbacks are paid 30 something mil per year. 
yeah, but Kyler's a lot better than both those guys. I don't think yeah, that's that I mean, there's a big difference between Kyler Murray being good and in his second year being an MVP. Hey man, he's gonna have DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, who who knows, man? He's yeah, I think Kyler's the real deal, man. Yeah, yeah he, is, he could have a big year. I don't think MVP stratosphere. Better than but... Mahomes, better than Russell, better than Lamar. Like, come no, on. You don't gotta be better than somebody to win MVP. You know what I mean? You just have to have the better year. You have yeah. to have Hopkins and Cliff Kingsbury as your coach and just throw a ton, and there you go. Yeah, there you go. Surprise. When you have yeah. the best head coach in the NFC West, it's not that hard. I know. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you guys like him so much since they started scoring more when they started running the ball more. And he's very vocal about that. <laughs> End the show. End the show. <laughs> Good night, everybody. End it early. <laughs> On that note, uh, I want to thank our guests, uh, Ben Arthur over at SeattlePI.com. Please make sure you check him out. Uh, at seattlepi.com and uh, on Twitter at Ben Y. Arthur, uh, as well as uh, Michael Sean Duger uh, and uh, is at Mike, M-I-K-E Duger uh, on Twitter. And mild thanks to the rest of the guys, Nathan and Jeff and, and Evan. You guys did all right. Uh, always good to have you and uh, fun to see you guys again. And um, on a serious note, uh, lots of lots of stuff going on. A um, lot of folks that could use uh, a hand, both from what's going on with COVID, what's going on with uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, let's be a community, folks. You know, uh, love love your brothers, love your sisters, and uh, really treat people like people, and and try to turn off social media a little bit, and uh, look people in the face and in the eye, and uh, have a real conversation with them about what's going on in their lives and how you can help. Um, I think we should all be doing that uh, much more often and, and got no excuse because there's nothing else to do right now, um, you know, other than uh, sit around and, and talk to people. So, all right. Uh, thanks for those that donated. Um, we will make sure and announce uh, what we were able to raise for, for Black Lives Matter today. Um, important from, from our perspective to be very direct about our support for that organization. There's a lot of great organizations. Another one I'd call out for folks, um, NAACP Legal Defense Fund is another one that I personally have supported a lot and believe in a lot and what they've been doing. So uh, a lot of great opportunities to help. Thank you all for showing up and being a great part of our community. Um, you can sign up over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. That's where we uh, get you know a lot of our support um, and, and uh, our charitable donations built up over the year. So please do that. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, and with that, we will say good night. Take care, everybody. <laughs>